I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Uh, you know, Rebel Radio is supported by Upside.com. If you travel for business like I do, man, I've been on the road. I was in Atlanta. Just the last month, I was in Atlanta, Mexico. I was in Napa, New York. I'm all over the place. And, uh, you know, anything that makes it easier or saves money is great. Upside.com does both. It's you, you, you can find the best prices on flights, hotels, rental cars. The service is amazing. You can contact them through the app, the website, phone, email, really any, any way you want to get a hold of them is, is pretty easy. And the craziest thing is there's gift cards to places like Amazon.com every time you make a purchase of business travel through, through them, not just the first time or anything like that. If you use my code REBEL, um, you'll get a minimum $100 gift card to Amazon.com, which is pretty wild. So go to Upside.com, use the code REBEL, and there's a minimum purchase required. See the site for details. Hey, this is Adam. This is Brian. And we are the ones behind the Cloak & Dagger Dusk Till Dawn Festival, along with Mitchell and the whole Spaceland crew. And we're here to talk with Rebel Radio. Fuck you, Josh. Fuck you, Josh. <laughs> What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up, what up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Peanut Butter Wolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh -huh. Rebel Radio is going down. What did you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Re Re Rebel Radio. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to Rebel Radio. I'm your host, Josh Levine. I got two very special guests in studio with me today, Adam 12 and Brian Tarney. They're the founders of the Cloak and Dagger Festival here in Los Angeles. It's actually happening this weekend as we speak. Uh, Cloak and Dagger is kind of a spinoff of the Cloak and Dagger Club, which is sort of a goth club, although if you know Adam 12, he doesn't exactly stick to a format. He kind of plays what he loves and makes you love it too. Um, but it's like like a lot of Adam's projects, comes with a lot of rules. It's a members-only club, 
Uh, he makes you wear all black and there's no photos allowed. And we talk a little bit about why it's a good idea to create rules for people and, and really guide the experience and not necessarily play by the, um, the idea that the customer is always right or that the customer always knows what they want. And we also talk a lot about what it means to create an immersive entertainment experience for people and they, they got some crazy shit happening down at Cloak and Dagger. So I hope you enjoy the interview. Uh, we'll get into it right after our EDM.com track of the week. So that was the EDM.com track of the week. That was one and two with Vivere. If you like that, get over to EDM.com and check out more great music. And right now, let's get into the interview with Adam 12 and Brian Tarney. I was talking about this with somebody the other day who was like 40s, you know, hip hop fan. And, um, and I'm, I'm excited to hear your, your story. Mm-hmm. as well and how it all fits together but yeah. the um just the idea there was a kid in the room who was 27 and like the idea that at one time being a hip-hop fan was like a, it was like a it set you apart it was kind of a fringe sure. thing forget about being a white hip-hop fan but just being a hip-hop fan period oh yeah you know was not the norm and most of the kids in your high school or whatever like couldn't relate to that and didn't even know about it my high school was like Shane, Mooney, mm-hmm. Justin. Mm-hmm. It was Shane, Justin, this kid Morgan, who was Popcorn. You ever heard of uh, that dude? Uh-uh. He was down like with Breeze. Do you remember okay. Breeze? Yeah, yeah. Not Breed. Yeah, yeah. Breeze. Breeze went to our high school. And like two other dudes. Right. That was it. Yeah. There was like, and, and Kevin Hicks. Mm-hmm. You know Kevin? Mm-hmm. But that was it in my high school. I wore like track suits every day, and people were like, "What the fuck are you?" Yeah, I got called some fucked up names yeah, yeah, too. Yeah, like, weirdo. I was no, I was I was wigger. Yeah, some yeah, wigger. Like, yeah, yeah, I mean, of course. but not joking. Yeah, like, yeah, like, like, like yeah. it was gnarly in those not days. Not in a Michael Rappaport way. <laughs> no, <laughs> not in a Michael Rappaport way. But it was. You're right. I mean, it was. You know, that was late '80s. But even in all, you know, the early '90s, <clears throat> it's still now. That weird, like the goth people don't understand the hip hop side of me, yeah. and vice versa. It still yeah. kind of exists, For sure. but back then, because I never dressed goth, right. but I would go to goth clubs. Uh-huh. But I'd be wearing like triple five sole or something, right, right. and they're like, "Fuck, are you doing here, dude?" 
so we so my, my friends and I in high school we all dressed preppy but we were hip hop and and it, but we were in everything sure. kind of same same kind of experience but like I, we went in 88 to uh, Depeche Mode so the music for the masses show wow never been around other Depeche Mode fans it was just me and my friends and we liked all kind of different shit and we walk in and everyone's in black and we're like the preppy oh. dudes we just like I didn't know this whole world existed right like it was just a foreign like the whole really like the whole crowd I assumed people were still kind of doing like the 80s hyper color even the Depeche Mode. well I guess music for the masses probably was a, it was little, a little later bit, a little later yeah yeah, yeah. That, that was a couple years after black celebration so right. that would be like the, exactly wow Exactly. That would have been cool. That show must have been awesome. Oh, it was incredible. It was incredible. But, but you know, but at the time, it was, like, weird to cross cultures. Like sure. That, right? It was weird for a bunch of preppy white kids to be into hip-hop. It was weird for hip-hop fans to also like Depeche Mode. Like, that was just... Which is so funny now, because you, like... I've been, I've been particularly picking up a lot of... I've been DJing a regular, like, night where I'm playing a lot of, like, 80s hits and stuff. Yeah. It's like... I've been picking up a lot of those like Warner Brothers 12-inch promos and whatnot and seeing like you start to see that regardless of whether it was a hip-hop or a, a synth pop or like a, a just a pop thing like Paul Simon whatever everybody had the same batch of like 10 remixers sure everybody had the same group of producers that just like worked on the track and to them yeah. they didn't care it was just like we're going to give it that like that's that dance treatment or whatever and but I think I think in the '80s the perspective was way different because in the '90s once like like body count happened and mm -hmm. George Bush was like talking about that shit and like you know like press conferences and whatnot like that's when I think there was more of a backlash and people were like you were like particularly weird for being like like you know subversive for being into hip hop for a while rather than it just being because hip hop sure. was sort of a like fun party genre that came out of like disco and funk and all that yeah at least in the like very early 80s so they had changed pretty remarkably by that point well it's like if you watch the defiant ones <sighs> right and you know i kind of forgot because you know now jimmy's like you know he's a headphone guy whatever but you know it was a big yeah he was like the guy that was going out there and he was like going to bat for it yeah on this music that was mm -hmm. like under scrutiny by the the FBI and the DEA and yeah. all this stuff, right? And, and yeah. that was a big deal for for them. And you know, remember mm -hmm. Warner Brothers had to like pull out of it because of uh, you know Cop Killer and and all this shit. And, you know, it's just such a weird world now that like none none of that matters. No, none of that matters anymore. Right, and it's like we I think there's our generation that you know how we got to this point is really meaningful to us but for the new generation like well, all that is erased kids don't even fuck. get kids don't even get to go through awkward phases anymore right. they just go on the internet and find out what's cool like we had to go and <laughs> we had to go like trial by fire and do stupid shit and like you know like have our bad like awkward moments and sure. listen to something that was 
not cool and get schooled by it by the cool kids or whatever you know like that shit doesn't even exist anymore yeah i mean i just had that same conversation the other day where like when you look around fortunately i get to travel a lot and everywhere we go looks the same Mm -hmm. and everyone in those cities give or take looks the same so there's no identity to any cities anymore you know you go to the east side of any city mm-hmm. it's like the cool coffee place right. the, you know it's all because yeah. they just go online and see what everybody else is doing and then recreate it the same way that people do it with fashion and makeup and style and like music and yeah and we were talking about how cool it was when you had to figure it out mm-hmm. yeah. you know and everybody had their own thing going on and how important that was to like the development of people, you know, how people developed into being individuals. Yeah, yeah, where like. So what do you what do you guys see? Because I know you guys are out, you know, at your clubs. Uh, you you definitely out more than I am because I sit at home with my kid and think about the old days. But uh, <laughs> but like, what do you see in the new generation? <laughs> like, how is it different? I know last time we were here, so. Um, first of all, thank you for coming back. Thanks for having that's, me back. That's exciting. I had a great time the last time and learned so much about you, even though we've, we've known each other for 20 plus years. But, yeah. um, so I'm excited to hear kind of where it's all going and, and all that. But uh, we talked last time about just how camera culture was changing the club scene, right? And bottle service was changing the club scene. And, and I think, you know, you've done a great job creating environments that are in your vision. Um, to maybe, I don't want to say combat that, but to kind of create an experience for people even even in that world. Um, but how are people different? How is this younger generation different than, than like what we're used to? In clubs that I do or in clubs in general? Yeah, just what you see <laughs> out there. Like we're talking about this like where the awkward phase is gone, the... The, the blending of genres or the skipping genres like so I'm just curious like what what effects do you see there's happens? so many I mean you know the the initial I think the most prevalent effect in my opinion well there's a few but one of them is you know what Brian was talking about earlier about it relates to there not being an awkward phase for anybody where like everywhere you go you have to be on guard that somebody's taking a picture or a video of you so mm-hmm. Even kids that are like five yeah. are like cooler than I ever was sure. because they have access to Cause you know what's cool, what's cool, yeah. or what people perceive to be as cool. Yeah. So like, I go when I DJ just like straight up clubs. You know, I think the the first thing I notice is how boys aren't dancing with girls. No one's really even dancing. Mm. It, there's no dance floor. Mm-hmm. That's actually probably the first thing you notice is over the last 10 years, the dance floor has just kind of disappeared mm. because everybody's just in booze. Right. And if there is a dance floor, there's, it's probably filled with people who are staring at somebody who's DJing or performing right. and yeah. not really dancing. And if they're dancing, it's offbeat. Mm-hmm. That's another thing I notice is nobody has rhythm anymore. Not, right. not nobody, but like, it's crazy that like, the craziest, this is the craziest thing. <laughs> Not only has nightlife developed into this industry that's all based on fear, 
Like the owner is afraid to hire promoters that think outside the box is he's afraid that they he may not get people there that are spending the money that he needs mm -hmm. the promoters are afraid that if they don't deliver the corny people I don't know if they're corny but like the people <coughs> who spend all the money that they're gonna lose their job yeah. the DJs are afraid to be artists and play anything that appeals to them rather than being a jukebox mm -hmm. for the guy spending the money so they're afraid mm -hmm. he's afraid of losing their job for like not doing what they think everybody else wants them to do, which just turns every club into a carbon copy of each other. You hear the same music and you see the same fashion, everybody's doing the same thing. And so like I, I DJed this party <clears throat> a couple months ago, I kind of stopped DJing as much as I used to, unless it's something that I created or something that I think I'll have a good time at, mm -hmm. which is pretty rare these mm -hmm. days. So I was, playing all these songs and people were just waiting for the hook yeah and so it was like a group of zombies standing around you know when zombies just stand there and there's no sound uh -huh. and they're just waiting for like somebody to knock something over so they all go attack them so they're all just kind of standing there being zombies during the verse and then as soon as they realize that the chorus is coming phones come out and they oh, wow. they get their snapchat or their instagram story ready and then the chorus hits and then suddenly the whole room is doing this no way. and like singing the chorus and then as soon as the chorus is done they like put their you know description and they post it and then they just go back to being the zombies again and then the next song chorus is coming same thing yeah. so like it's crazy to me i mean you know it is what it is and i sure. accept it yeah. um doesn't mean that i have to enjoy it or like it but like that's why when when I go out and I hear DJs play now, it's chorus, 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 chorus. Even songs, they're just like, the verses aren't even really verses anymore. It's just all hooks mm -hmm. because they just want people to like sing along and mix, it, mix the chorus into the chorus the next song. It's mm -hmm. just... That's, that's why I sort of admire you for um, using Serato still because I, I, I was always a vinyl DJ, but then when I was living in San Francisco, I was DJing like Google events and corporate events. So this yeah. was like 10 years ago or so. And you'd use Serato at that point. Yeah. It was before CDJs were really, you know, that whole thing had come to life. And whenever I'd do that, people would just come up to me because they'd see the computer. They'd see the glowing Apple logo and they just assumed you had every song in the sure. world or whatever. And I, I'd get like a, a Lady Gaga request and I was literally playing Lady Gaga at that, that very moment. You know, it's like, so now that I've eliminated using that, pro that process, people are like, I'm like, do you see a computer here? I can't just, you know. Yeah. Yeah, just play that song. I mean, your your request stories on Facebook <laughs> is, one, is one of my favorite things to read. What's up, y'all? I'm very excited to tell you about a new sponsor for Rebel Radio. I've been a fan of Audible.com for years. I probably have, I don't know, at least a hundred books in my library. Um, I'm into fiction. I'm into business books. I'm into self-help personal development that's most of my listening and audible.com has an incredible selection unmatched um really any, any book that i've looked for i've generally found it uh the last book i, I just finished listening to was called 10 percent happier by dan harris he's an abc evening news anchor and he talked about discovering meditation after having a live panic attack on tv it's a great story 
kind of taught me a bit about meditation and just really entertaining. I, I recommend that book. And I definitely recommend signing up for audible.com. I listen uh, when I go to the gym. I listen on, on, when I, on my way to work, on my commute. If I'm on a plane, you guys know I travel a lot. So I, I basically turn all that sitting around time into reading time, listening time. And it gives me the opportunity. I'll probably go through a book a week. Get over to audible.com slash rebel. There's a special offer for a 30-day free trial. You can discover audible.com for yourself. Definitely leave us a note and let us know what you're listening to. I'd love to hear that. And uh, make sure you make good use of it. Audible.com slash rebel. I've... There was a certain point before before you could get away, you know, with calling out celebrities mm-hmm. on the internet. You could, I could. Mm-hmm. And then came the time when like everyone was just connected right. and no matter what you said, somehow it got to that person. Yeah. So before all of that happened, not just celebrities, but really anybody, I was calling, you remember, I used to do these things called recaps mm-hmm. that were like a whole list of all the f- shitty things that happened in a night that were funny. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was yeah. like, this person asked for this, or this guy offered me Coke. And I was like, you know, no thank you, but like, you might want to, you have a bunch of Coke on your face, though, dude. <laughs> like, or like, would you play this? Um, there's a million of them and it was it was funnier back then when i could say like you know kanye wanted to hear kanye Mm -hmm. which i still say it's funny (laughs) but like you i could get away with like on brand though that's very on brand no it is it's cool it's cool he you know there's a (laughs) few consistent there's a he's always been consistent (laughs) if, if not anything else so those are just an extension of the more extensive ones I used to do, where I could get away with like being specific. Sp- Spider was just on the show, and he had a great story about uh, Mariah Carey and like her security came up to the booth, and he and was like, "Mariah's here. You can play the album now." And he was <laughs> like, "What?" It, you know, that happened. Okay, so what we were talking about a few minutes ago about just about how everything's changed. Yeah. I was DJing at this place recently and they're like only play this kind of music which was great it was like classic Mm hip-hop and and songs people want to hear like funk soul little disco oldies everything from like mary j like you know the Mm -hmm. people in charge are like 90s heads right so they were like don't put anything new on just play this stuff. So I was just playing that stuff and in walked three big, two huge rappers and one big R&B singer and sat down and the girl came running over to me like, stop what you're doing and put on their music. Yeah. I'm like, this is like a 23 year old, 24 year old bar manager or something. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, do you really fucking think we're in a, people in here are chilling. Do you think that they came here to hear their own music, which right. they're probably inundated with on a daily basis? Sure. Look at them. They're just sitting there ordering drinks and having an appetizer. Like, yeah. Yeah. And she like went and got the manager, and the manager came over, and by the, like, within 10 minutes, I quit. 
I just left. Like, if you guys want to play their music, you can just put on Spotify because yeah. I'm never going to do that. Yeah. So, needless to say, they put it on. Right. And probably 10 or 15 minutes later, from as the story goes, from my friend who runs the place, they took off. They had, they were like, "Why are you playing our music? We're just here <laughs> chilling." Right. So it's the back well, to. Well, it's one thing if it fits the format, right? The, sure. Like, sh of course. It wasn't a club. Was the thing. Yeah. If you, they walk into a club and people are like this, mm -hmm. and they walk in and the lights on them, and everybody knows they're there, and you put their shit on, and everybody goes crazy. That's cool. Yeah. I still don't do that, but if somebody yeah. asked me to, I would, because I understand that. We were in a lounge situation where it was like Bill Withers was playing. And they were like, put, immediately put on some brand new hip hop. Like, even if they weren't there, that. It's, it's, it's like the same thing as like if you're, if you're DJing before a band, you're like DJing a concert. Right. You don't play you don't the play band's the music before they go on and play the concert. It's silly. <laughs> so there's just... The ultimate faux pas. For sure. There's just, a, you know, there's a lot of things that changed. Yeah. And like, I notice them on a daily basis. That's why, you know, it goes back to your original question, which includes, you know, the n not allowing people to take photos in some of these spots, mm -hmm. I think, adds a lot and even though younger people take a little longer to understand what to do without their phone yeah they ultimately end up having a better time because mm -hmm. they're like oh wow i can experience this yeah. <laughs> real life event for however long i'm in this room and yeah. then i can go back out into the world and do the whatever i need to do with my phone but the phones you know i, I again i i understand it and I can appreciate it, and I just come from a different time, like you mm -hmm. do, and I want people to take a moment and uh, appreciate life. It's just easy to take for granted now, too. I know as a kid growing up in the 80s, I was like, I didn't even have an allowance, so if I like pilfer some money out of my mom's drawer or something, or just find enough you know, money to go get a cassette or whatever, yeah. But I go and sit in a record, and you go sit and listen to it, and you pull out the sleeve, and or the the insert in the cassette, the CD, and you sit there, and you you wouldn't you wouldn't do anything but just listen to that yeah, record. Yeah, I remember, I particularly, I was like nine years old, and Peter Gabriel So came out, and I had to get it. I was just like really feeling the singles off that or whatever, and it got the the whole cassette was really cool. And there was like Kate Bush was on it, and all this great stuff. And I remember reading the the liner notes, and it was like Peter Gabriel on this song is playing a Fairlight, and on this song he's playing a prophet. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what the hell those things were, but I remember like going out and finding out, even as a little kid, what these like instruments were and being yeah. curious of, you know, Daniel Lanois, who was the producer, and then seeking out other things that he produced. And I think that's just, that, that's what really informs what, 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 how you grow into whatever scene you, you get into, sure. like, and what you, people you want to work with. Is that your yeah. first record that you ever bought? No, I don't think so, no. but. I just remember that one being, I just yeah. remember that being, I think it was kind of like, maybe because my mom was listening to a lot of stuff, and it was mm -hmm. sort of that adult contemporary 80s sure. thing, but where like, you know, Paul Simon, they were all like sort of integrating a lot of world sounds, and yeah. Womad was happening, and Live Aid and all that, but I don't think so. I think, I want to say like one, probably the first thing I got was The Unforgettable Fire by U2, back when they were good. Yeah, yeah.
<laughs> Let's, uh, it's been a while. <laughs> although it's funny, my my son is eight, is now like a YouTube fan because his kindergarten teacher was playing that free record that came on. The oh God, oh, man! In their cut, and he like loves it. But he doesn't know. Yeah. And then I've been introduced him to the older stuff. You, like go buy him a copy of War or something. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, but uh, what about you? Is just to elaborate a little bit on what he was saying, which relates to what we're ultimately going to talk about. Like Re reading, reading record, you know, reading the liner notes mm -hmm. and learning about producers and mm -hmm. musicians and labels as a, mu as a DJ and, and ultimately a music producer, when you would go out and buy records, right, looking for like beats or sounds and you, if you went to a record store where you like knew the dude and he was a, had a, a vast musical vocabulary yeah. mm -hmm. and you'd go in and say, hey, I need some drum loops. He'd say, sure. well, check this out. And it's like, can. Mm. And you're like, yeah. what the fuck is this? He's like, just go listen to it. Yeah. And here's maybe I need something with like a side stick. Oh, hold on. Check this out. Bo Lugosi's dead. What's this? Mm -hmm. Just go listen to it. And so just in that way of listening to records, looking, skipping through songs, looking for like drum beats to yeah. top of songs, we learned about Bauhaus mm -hmm. and Can, mm -hmm. and like all these really amazing alternative or goth bands, like Susie, mm -hmm. you know, like the beat that like Biggie ultimately took right. off of Susie record, like all that stuff, we learned about, which just opened our mind mm -hmm. to, to all these different genres of music while digging for records, looking for beats and shit to sample. ESG. Sure. All that stuff. Liquid, ESG. Liquid, yeah. yeah, man. Like, yeah. I, you know, to this day, some of my favorite records were records that I discovered digging yeah. and being yeah. put on by some dude at a record store who, like, just wanted to share his knowledge of yeah. music with other people. So he would just, it was him, and then there was a younger assistant of his that was a hip-hop head. Mm -hmm. So I would get things from the guy who owned the place that just I had no idea what they were I remember he gave me a Les McCann record one day and I was into buying jazz records and like to this day I remember getting home putting it on going like hearing recognizing the samples in it but also appreciating it for being a beautiful record I'm like oh the Waskels sampled that or like yeah Master Ace took that and this is coming from a guy who most likely didn't know that those guys sampled it. Right. It was just like, this has some beats on it and this is actually a beautiful record. You should check it out. So, I mean. Yeah, I know for me, a lot of my favorite records now are songs I discovered as samples. Absolutely. And I was digging for what that is and end up loving the original. It's just, you know, it just goes back to a different time when people, A, made better music in general, yeah. but like. Well, you had to be a, you had to be a world-class musician to get a record out right. especially like in the jazz world and whatnot well yeah people Definitely. people were still but it really was I, I grew up in Milwaukee mm. and that's where I started promoting shows and it literally was like there, there was different kinds of record stores you go to there's the ones I go where my like that my friends owned. they were they were these characters called the Noble Brothers they all looked alike had these nerdy 60s glasses had every Tropicalia record, jazz yeah. record, disco, funk. Actually, they thought disco was crap, so you could get amazing disco records really cheap. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, then I go to this other store where they were like carrying 
you know, contemporary stuff. And I remember, I mean, I wasn't even really promoting concerts yet. And I went in and my friend turned me on to this group from New York called Antibalas, mm. an Afrobeat group. And at the time in Milwaukee, this was like 2000, nobody was going to see, you'd only see like indie rock bands, like all the posters in the record stores were black and white, you know, like not even cardstock, you know, and it was just like, it was kind of a depressed time. And I just called up their agent and said, you know, I've heard about this like 15 piece Afrobeat orchestra that you're booking. He's like, yeah, it's gonna be $2,000 if you want to bring them. They're actually going to be coming through the Midwest in a few months. And we did it. And we promoted like 15 piece Brooklyn Afrobeat and had this, you know, full color, had a guy that worked at Kinko's that like we would steal all the stuff sure. for us and let us go in there and design it and print it out because he didn't even have a computer at home at the time. And people went fucking nuts for it. We just sold the show out. I want to have the founder of Kinko's on this show because yeah. Kinko's was so important <laughs> to the club scene. Man, was it. Oh, man. Yeah. We, I remember doing my first event and like, uh, you know, I had a friend of mine draw up the flyer, Brent Rollins, who I'm sure you know. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I went to Kinko's and made a bunch of color copies and then made a bunch of black and white copies and whatever. And then you're doing it across the room and then mm -hmm. you come over to the desk and you're like, oh, I made 10 copies. Yeah. Here's my dollar. Yeah. And I made like 500 <laughs> copies yeah. or whatever. Get away with we, had a racket, yeah. we had a racket going for probably five or six years and it actually got to the point where the guy that works there, our friend, yeah. uh, was uh, terminated and they pressed charges against him. And he countersued them and won, and they ended nice. up having to pay him out a ton of money. Oh, wow. <laughs> Which I don't understand how it all ended up working, because I mean, I can't tell you how many times they're just in there designing yeah. flyers forever, putting out like these massive cardstock oh, posters, totally. full color. He'd stack them. He's like, yeah, just go. Just go. Well, that guy had a good lawyer. Oh, well, yeah. but like, he has good karma for the rest of but, his life. But I think there's big chunks of the club scene that just couldn't happen without Kinko's. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, which does, Kinko's doesn't really that was exist, the, right? It's like FedEx now. Right. Yeah, and now, I mean, now you, you got to put in a credit card. and. Yeah. You know. The only way to let people know about parties yeah. was standing outside some other party and giving mm -hmm. them a flyer. Yeah. There wasn't any other. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm sure it's the same with you. When you started, it wasn't like, there wasn't even, there was no MySpace. Right. There was there no Friendster, none of that crap. You just go to every coffee shop. You go to every record store. You go to where, every club, every bar, and you pass out flyers. You connect with people and, and get them convinced that this was where they needed to be. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Good old days. For sure. Yeah. But, it, but you it, know, that's also a young person's game. I mean, I can't imagine running around with fly. I mean, we might, you know, we might do a little of that soon. <laughs> we might. <laughs> no, but I think there was a thing to that, right? It, that, like, you know, it depended on who was the person out there handing you the flyer. Sure. Mm -hmm. And it depended. And, and if you walked out of a club where you had just had a good time or in the record store where, you know, you trusted them, mm -hmm. and you saw their flyers on the window. Like, there was a there was a shorthand, right? That you mm -hmm. were like you were willing to pay attention to the piece <laughs> of paper that some stranger just handed you, which 
you wouldn't do. You know, I remember years later, so I started a street team company. Mm -hmm. And, like, you know, we had a client hire us to do some promotion in Vegas. I forget what it was. And so we put a bunch of girls on the strip to hand out flyers. Yeah. And, like, uh, and then we get a call at the end of the day from the, the leader who was like, no one will take our flyers. And it was because the only people out there doing that were promoting hookers. <laughs> right? Makes sense. And so it just, but so we learned that lesson the hard way. But but it, but it was an important lesson that context matters, mm -hmm. right? Because if you were out and you had to be in front of the club that was similar enough to the one that you were promoting, right? You can't just go to the the palace and right. you know hand shit away, mm -hmm. out randomly. Yeah. When Kilo and I first started DJing together, yeah. we did a party called A Train uh -huh. at what became that spot on like Yucca, Goldfingers, oh, yeah, yeah. Wh whatever yeah. that was way back in the day before mm -hmm. Goldfingers. And that was Wise. Right. And then Wise designed, you know, he's a big designer now. He designed my Absolutely. logo for my band. Yeah. Still work with that dude yeah, yeah. 20 years yeah. later. I like it before when it was just like cut and paste and mm -hmm. you were doing collage sure, wise yeah, sure. and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. So wait, what was the first record you bought? As a DJ or just no, no, in my in life? life? I'm going to say, I was just thinking about this a few days ago, and I, I can narrow it down to one of three. It's either going to be a 45 of 9 to 5 by Dolly Parton. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, Double Dutch Bus. Or, 12 inch. yeah, that that was my first 12 inch for sure. I just don't remember if I bought nine to five or that first. Or, um, I want to say, like, a, because my mom listened to uh, the Bee Gees uh -huh. a lot, I think I, I might have bought like a Bee Gees greatest hits okay. or something. Yeah. Um, but if I remember correctly, it was. I mean, if I had to really guess, I'd say 9 to 5 by does, Dolly Parton. Does 9 to 5 didn't make it into any sets still? If Steve Aoki's DJing and it's <laughs> 2005. <laughs> Did he really? I'm sure. Oh, my God. Right before Jolene. Yeah. Mm, there you go. It's a good mix. Jolene's the obvious one, though. Uh, I'm, you know, partial to 9 to 5. Yeah. I, 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 was like, I was, like, obsessed with that movie as a kid. I used to just put that, that you know, you couldn't push repeat. Yeah. You had no, to, no. like, go back to the turntable really and start it over again. again. I'd yeah. just sit there and listen to that. And I think maybe Aha, uh -huh. um, oh, Take yeah. On Me was, a, was an on. early record for me. Also, Eben Ozen okay. did a song a called A-I-O-U. Yeah. That was one of my first records for sure. I remember getting that because I saw the video and I was like, these dudes are trippy. I'm sure. I don't, yeah. And, you know, and then, you know, there's, then there's the other A-I-O-U. Which I thought was a remix or the, something. The Arthur Baker one. Freeze. Freeze. Oh, Arthur Freeze. Baker. Yeah, yeah, there's that one. So I was like, oh wow, this is a different version of it. And this is a different song. It's actually better. That's I, what, when I heard IOU, I was just thinking of that. Yeah. 
Atomic Dog, I know, was a super early one, 12-inch, that orange and yellow yeah. one. Um, probably a Run DMC. It was right around the time that like LL dropped and Run DMC dropped. Mm -hmm. and there was a place on the corner from where I lived called Odyssey Records yeah. Yeah, in the yeah. Valley. And they were the first place that it was Music Plus or there for me. Mm -hmm. So I went there. I remember there being like a Run DMC record and a LL, you know, one LL Cool J record. And I think those, those were actually the, well, somewhere in there, my first record. Atomic Dog, I remember, was the first record I think I discovered without it being from my parents, mm -hmm. like a genre. Mm -hmm. K-Day. Yeah. Well, it was K-Day, and then I, we used to drive across the country. Right. I would drive with my family, yeah. and I had a, a tape recorder that picked up the radio, mm -hmm. and I would just record oh, off the radio cool. wherever yeah. we were, yeah. and it was mostly just like AM gold, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. But we, I, I remember going through New York at that time, mm -hmm. And it was the first time I remember hearing hip hop yeah. and Atomic Dog. And I, I remember because I recorded the hour we drove through New York or a couple mm -hmm. hours. Mm -hmm. And when I remember getting home and listening to it and just freaking out about like Atomic Dog. I can't even believe how amazing this is. And, and, and that song was already probably a few years old at the time. Probably, yeah. yeah, for sure it was. You know, it was, well, yeah, I was 81 or something. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty old, so. It might have been new, but I do remember like Sucka MCs uh -huh. was on that For sure. and Atomic Dog. And then I, I, because I didn't know what it was, so I, I didn't, there was no way to find out right. what Atomic Dog was. I just was like, and then I saw the video and I was like, oh shit. There was like this uh, episode of uh, the damn Al Bundy show, mm -hmm. Married with Children. Mm -hmm. Where like he's running to record stores all over the city, like humming a tune and asking the guy behind the counter like what it is, and it's like what was the song? I don't. It was like that's amazing. He, I don't know what it was, but you know, <laughs> that was like one of the early episodes. But like that's we all had that. Experience. Yeah, yeah, or, had yeah, yeah. Because you didn't, you couldn't figure out how, yeah, otherwise. How, we'd wait maybe to hear it on the radio. Totally. Yeah, and hope that yeah. they said, and they'd be like, oh, another twelve in a row. Yeah. No, like they wouldn't say that title yeah whatever yeah. A, rec a record that informed so much for me was um i'm just a, probably a couple years younger than adam but it was neil young trans because my mother was like a massive neil young fan so yeah. i like again i just didn't really have the, the the money to go buy out go out and buy records or anything yeah but that was so we i'd sit around and listen to like all the old neil young crazy horse records she had but she just happened to have trans too because it was like 1982 or 83 at that point I remember putting that record on and being like, what the hell is going on? Uh -huh. It's like, you know, you don't even understand. It's like it's like the drum machines and synthesizers and you're singing through the vocoder and all that. Yeah. Which, you know, like later on when I started, because when I first started hearing hip hop, it was like Beastie Boys and Run mm -hmm. DMC and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But later on, then you started hearing Africa Bombada and, you know, all the freestyle electro stuff and whatnot, Nucleus and... yeah. And you really like started to understand like I mean there was this really that peak period around eighty two eighty three when the eight oh eight came out and the whatever Roland vocoder they were all using and mm -hmm. and it was everyone was you know everyone was trying it out. Phil Collins was using the drum machines and the vocoder on what in the air tonight sure. eighty one. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. So yeah. how do we get from that? So 
So you you have this history of, of uh, hip hop clubs, and uh, oh, obviously she wants revenge. And then I know you've been doing Cloak and Dagger Club for a while. Two years. Two years. So uh, where did the idea for a festival come from, and why why a Cloak and Dagger festival, not some other festival? So the idea for just a quick history, which will lead us to the festival. Yeah. Cloak and Dagger came from an idea based on Giorgio's, which is the disco night idea, which doesn't allow photos. Right. Um, it's my favorite night, by the way. Thanks. Whenever I can drag my ass out. So we would get, there'd be people who'd come there who hate disco, but love, like a few of my friends that are kind of celebrities in the dark kind of gothy industrial <coughs> let's say world mm -hmm. or rock or whatever who hate disco mm -hmm. they love that they can go somewhere and not be bombarded with like yep. people taking photos of them because we protect them and so that's where the idea first started where i was like i wish that there was like a goth club or something where like dudes like that can go like manson or something yeah. can go and actually hear music that he's into and just kick it and not worry about people harassing them, protect them from like super fans mm -hmm. or someone finds out he's there, or whatever, knows he goes there, they'll just try and stalk him. Mm -hmm. So the original idea came from, I wonder if I could create something like that, but then I realized like I made a mixtape just kind of trying to wrap my head around what I would play and I was experimenting with like Nine Inch Nails instrumentals and like Nas acapellas or Biggie acapella or whatever. Rihanna even yeah. or vice versa. Yeah. Depeche Mode acapella over Daft Punk and you know whatever it was and I was like and they sounded good mm -hmm. and there was a through line somewhere in there and so I was like you know I don't really like to go to goth clubs I mean for lack of a better word I don't even understand what the word goth really means but like we'll just say goth because everybody thinks they understand what it means <laughs> I wish I could go somewhere where I didn't hear the same thing every time I go I you can pretty much right. bank on what you're gonna hear because sure. a lot of those clubs are just stuck in the 90s yeah. and they never really branch out unless there's a breakthrough artist who has a big hit or their weird. personal preference of like some things you may not know about or whatever the case may be in general 80% yeah. of what you hear is going to kind of be the same thing so I was you know I thought I love Wu-Tang Clan and it's dark I love all you know Nine Inch Nails I love Depeche Mode but I also love Motown mm -hmm. there are Motown songs where the lyrics are dark and sad and the, the sonics of the song. Which one comes to mind? Um, there's like a, a song that I always play called My Past Just Crossed My Future. My past just crossed my future.
amazing song uh, by the Four Tops. Okay. In this, in their '70s kind of funk phase, wow. which is talking about how the guy was a fuck up when he was a kid, and did all this fucked up shit, and now he's grown up and he's watching his kid mm. do the same thing. It's dark, but it's funk. Yeah. The you know the point was that there are dark aspects to all genres of music, even classical, mm -hmm. what, jazz, anything. There's mm -hmm. a darker side to everything. Sure. Why not try to imagine a place where you could get away with playing Depeche Mode into the Gravediggers or something? You know, I didn't know if it was going to work, but I just knew that like. I would want to hear all that shit together. Yeah. I realized that like there's less hip hop mm -hmm. heads than there are the other side of, of things that go out now. Yeah. That, so you, I just adjust. Yeah. But it worked, you know, in that people first people were like, Biggie isn't dark, man. I'm like, he has a song called Suicidal Thoughts, dude. Like, that's if that's not dark, I don't know what is. I, you know, it's dark. And so people were like, I don't get it. I, and I would say, just come. Just come. You'll understand when you get there. And then by the end of the night, they're like, okay, now I get it. If you're digging this one, we actually had Adam 12 on early uh, in the Rebel Radio history. You can go back in the archives and check out my interview with Adam 12 uh, when he was the president's DJ back when we had a president that you might want to DJ for. And he talked about, you know, what it was like DJing for people like Prince and Madonna and how he built the, uh, the couple club brands like Aphex and Giorgio's and just really a lot of great stories from uh, L.A. club history in that one. So go back and check that out. Right now, let's finish up with Adam 12 and Brian Tarney. So I have a, I have a personal question. You know, you're kind of a quiet dude, and, you know, you write publicly a lot on Facebook about uh, depression, about um, uh, substance abuse, about, you know, and yet your career is, like, marked by this confidence that you can give people something that they don't know they want and that it'll work. How's that happen? Because no one would sit around going, oh, there's a market for this club. Like these, all the promoters and venue owners and shit that we're talking about, not one of them would ever have conceived of this idea. I made a decision very early on, which kind of got me shut out from a lot of LA circles mm -hmm. of DJs and promoters, where I just was like, this is what I like. I'm just going to go for it. And when I saw in the very beginning, even in high school, I just realized that I have good taste. Then I realized very quickly that I know how to read a room. Then I re realized very quickly that when I trust my instincts, it always works. Except when I was getting hammered sometimes, it didn't work. But like instincts more. Instincts are, are tough to keep in Yeah, when I was drunk. I thought it was working, but when I would go back and actually like listen to the recording or 
or trying to remember the, right. the night, it, did, it probably didn't work. Yep. But it's just, it's what I tell a lot of the younger kind of DJs that are coming up who, who have enough, you know, who, who are seeking out advice even and not just being a carbon copy of everybody else. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's an art form to me, that's all. Yeah. That's what it is, is that I'm an artist and I don't say that to be pretentious. I'm just saying that in the truest sense of being an artist, when you need to express yourself and you need, and I, at the time, it was the only way I could let people know like, this is how I'm feeling, this is what I like, and this is a picture I'm gonna paint for you, mm. right? It, that has a beginning, a middle, and an end, so it takes you on a trip. So people would walk out having had highs and lows based on the music, based on decisions I was making, based on music that I personally liked, putting in some kind of order that made sense to me. You know what I mean? So like, at a certain point I realized that it was the easiest way for me to speak to people. Because you, like you said, like if I wasn't DJing, I was in the corner somewhere, probably hiding out. Mm -hmm or do, doing something I shouldn't be doing, or whatever. But like, the confidence that you mentioned, I, I don't know if that's the right word, but I appreciate it, just comes from, I think, having a lifetime of people appreciating what I do and letting me know by continuing to come mm -hmm. to the things I do and continuing to hire me to DJ their events or whatever. So, and if there's another thing I know, it's that in Los Angeles, over the course of my career, one thing I have noticed is when something isn't being provided for people in certain ways, in terms of music and clubs, if you give it to them, they'll come, mm -hmm. if it's a good idea. Mm -hmm. So I do know that over the years, like, the most successful clubs were things that just weren't happening. Right. You know, you just kind of, if you look at the landscape and you go, this is what people have, this is what people are offered. I know that if I do this thing, there's that many people that want to come to it. And if they don't, it'll only happen once or twice. And then I'll move on and do something else. But like part of the idea of Cloak and Dagger was just, I know that there are hip hop people that appreciate more than just hip hop. I know that there are goth people that appreciate more than just goth, whether they know it or not, because one of the most common sure. comments I get is, it's amazing to look at around the room and see some girl doing a spiderweb dance to like the ministry or, or whatever. And then I put on like, I admit I play Toxic by Britney Spears sometimes because it's a dark song. Yeah. The lyrics are dark yeah. and girl, girls like it. But to go from like, sometimes tear you apart she wants revenge and toxic because they're both up tempo and then 140 or something. They blend. Watching a girl do this in all black and total Susie makeup go into Britney Spears and freak out. It's such an amazing moment yeah. to capture every night. Yeah. And it just, 
is a testament to the fact that genres span broader than the audience that you imagine it mm -hmm. to be. Mm -hmm. And I think we just live in a world now where it can't exist the way it used to. It shouldn't, right. where everything is like that. You know, every like, you go to this kind of club, go to that kind of club. You know, there are the girls that like fancy themselves goth and just dress in all black because it's a fashion thing. Sure. Um, and we, you know, we force everybody to wear all black when they come. But like, it's amazing, you know, it, the, and the festival just stems from that. Um, it, you know, again, thank you for the compliment, but like, it's really just figuring out, A, how can I do, how can I do what I do in a way that I, I'm not repeating myself? Mm -hmm. one, one thing we said in She Wants Revenge is, if we continue to make music, n let's do our best to never do something we've already done. Yeah. And I've kind of always subscribed to that as a DJ, where there are mixes that I've been doing for 20 years that are just good. Mm -hmm. But in general, I think anybody, any kind of artist, at a certain point, you just, not, maybe not even at a certain point, you just never really want to do the same thing twice. So. Sort of how you separate yourself, too, as, I mean, when you're talking about DJ as an artist, yeah. is that that's become, I think, so convoluted particularly, of course. you know, you think about like Larry the Van at the Paradise Garage or something, he would go drop a can 12 inch or some weird, you know, crazy rhythm track and then, you know, down, you know, was like disco is, was, was, you could call it a lot of things. It was dance music. Right. You know, hip hop was samples of disco and rock and funk and how many other genres? Hip hop's the ultimate yeah. genre yeah, blender. So it's, it's, yeah. It's funny that you know you think you could make it as a DJ. I mean, I think the DJs that are successful that that just go out and you know play like you know at, at a club like Sound or something that's more like just like a house or a techno thing. Why not? You have to make tracks to be able to go and do that. Mm -hmm. If you're going to be a DJ, that's like from the from the school that I think we both came from. You have to be like you really have to make an art form out of what you're right. mixing and what you're bringing to the table Absolutely. and all the genre blending and whatnot. So what? So you, so you guys are partners in the festival, and I know it's mm -hmm. it's Restless Nights, Spaceland, you, Cloak and Dagger, Cloak and Dagger. Yeah. Um, what? Tell me about the partnership. So why are you guys the right partners for each other? So the original original idea was to just do a two year anniversary party where my band would play, yeah. and we have members from a bunch of other bands that I play there that are that attend all the time mm -hmm. so the idea was like we could do a secret show and have a couple of the other bands who are members play with us yeah. and just do like a surprise um, a surprise two-year anniversary show yeah. and then I called my agent Pete Anderson at APA who's like um, been a really amazing agent for She Wants Revenge mm -hmm. and, and now other things I hit him up and I said do me a favor and just do a little bit of research and let me know how many other festivals exist in this world that are dark but also add other genres, other elements to them. And uh, like a week or two later, he came back and said, you know, there isn't anything like that. There may be dark festivals that have like one hip hop guy in it mm -hmm. or one other thing right. or a couple, but most of them in general are like all industrial, all ambient, all techno, all house, all one thing. Yeah. 
And so the original idea was like, why don't we try and do a festival where we can have some hip hop, we can have some kind of like maybe dark pop element or dark house or dark DJ mm -hmm. gas lamp or somebody who knows music enough to be able to curate a set like that and have some industrial stuff and have some goth stuff and new stuff that's dark and maybe not doesn't fall into any of those genres necessarily but is mm -hmm. dark in, in you know their aesthetic or their sonic or whatever and yeah. so he was like dude let's just do it and I said okay well I can't do it <laughs> I can't I can't do it who do we talk to and he said well we should go speak with Spaceland and then we should go speak with Restless Nights because he works with both mm -hmm. companies mm -hmm. and it turns out that Brian and I worked together in San Francisco uh, he can tell you the story but I think She Wants Revenge was one of the first bands he booked at, at um, Mezzanine in San oh, Francisco cool. so mm -hmm. we met way back in the day 12 years ago 12 wow. years ago yeah. and um, you know after meeting with Spaceland and, and sitting with Brian I think we all quickly realized that like based on the strengths of each party, party yeah. that it was kind of the perfect combination. Well, we were already in the kind of in the beginning stages of of, oh, of doing that's this. right. Oh, but really? it, I mean, Adam had his own. Yeah, he had you know the the club to bring the table and his own vision, which I they they had kind of asked me like, why don't we put together a gothy festival or something? Because you know that the stuff they'd always sit, hear me sitting around listening to the, at the office or whatnot, and. Um, <clears throat> So I was already sort of in the planning stages for it, but then um, uh, I, was, I, I encountered his agent, Pete, at the Desert Days Festival, mm -hmm. which was about exactly a year ago, um, out in Joshua Tree, and we talked a little bit, and then Adam and I met like the next week, and we brought our lists together of who we That's wanted right. to book. Yeah. And They're our lists were identical. like, there was like 75% right? crossover on it. it was, the crossover was so strong, we are just like, okay, let's just, That's cool. and we got along well, and we're like, let's, let's do it. Yeah. Are there things going into a partnership like this? Are there, are there things that you guys know you have to watch out for to sort of keep from hating each other or keep from, you know, the whole thing crashing down? I think it's probably, uh, it's probably just keeping us from hating everyone else. Yeah. I think we're, we're, we're fine, yeah. I think <laughs> once you've been in a relationship, whether it's personal or business, and you understand that thing about picking battles and like, yeah. and how everybody has their own vision and how everybody has their own agenda ultimately. And, and it, once you learn how to f kind of work with other people, I think in general, it makes having partnerships like that, like this much easier. Um, and I think that like, not to say that like, I've encountered anything, working with these guys that sure. has been negative at all. Yeah. But I think that, you know, like I said, everybody's really good at what they do. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and, and we all share common vision, which is great. And, you know, Brian understands the music um, yeah, as much as we, I do. Well, like, we definitely have similar roots too, because I, you know, when I started collecting, it was all soul funk and, mm -hmm. and hip hop and disco and, world music and whatnot and I, I was very in that my my mindset was very much in that DJ game like one of, one of my mentors was this guy named um, old man Malcolm who I'm sure Adam probably knows and he was in the band Citizen King which is probably a similar trajectory as Adam as well that, but that was like the biggest band in Milwaukee yeah they had a hit song called better days uh -huh. 
like yeah he was like playing you know playing a Kraftwerk song playing a Babata song playing a New Order song playing uh, you know Joy Division Susie and the Banshees and then you know he'd be deep into like a rare Saphir track or something mm -hmm. you know and it was like that's cool and that's what where I came from so once Adam sort of brought that vision to me and I went to the club and started to see what he was doing it really made a lot of sense for me because I've never been I, I'm not from Los Angeles and I've never even the first few years I lived here, I've been here seven years now, I didn't, I barely crossed Western. Mm -hmm. I lived in Los Feliz, and then now I live in Echo Park, and right. and I was booking the Echo, and the Regent downtown, and all that, and it was very much a different, very much a different scene. So it was, it was kind of a, a good reminder, eye-opening. I mean, obviously, so much has changed now. We, now we just jump into an Uber, we're like, well, I had to, you know, before you had yeah, to yeah, get sure. your friends together, get in a car, make a big thing about it. Absolutely. Someone got a DUI. $10,000 later, yep. you're not going back to Hollywood. Right. So it was kind of cool to like experience this whole new, you know, kind of awakening for me. And to be totally honest, like this is the first year of the festival. Mm -hmm. We didn't, we kind of had to rush a lot of it. And there, there's a lot of things we didn't get to book this year. Um, that we'll book next that year. That will really kind of, I think, I mean, we're extremely happy with the lineup, but I think that there's some things that will really, I think I, people will be able to identify even more strongly with the Cloak and Dagger. Yeah, it wasn't a fully realized vision, yeah, just sure. based on time. Like, yeah. you know, we, once we actually all came to the conclusion that we were going to work together and, and mm -hmm. said yes, we were just under the gun as far as time was concerned. So a lot of the things we went after initially were already booked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what we're excited for is that we see this as a long-term vision, and we're going to keep growing it and really make it into something special. Yeah, yeah so talk about that, and, and you think long-term. How do you, what does success look like? I mean, you know, I I know that I define success maybe in a different way than Brian does and Mitchell at Spaceland does. I know that for myself personally, I've never really been, it, it's never been a financial thing. It's just been like a creative, if people respond positively to a creative effort that I make, mm -hmm. um, it's successful. So I think even now it's successful in that we get messages from people all over the world saying like, this is one of the greatest lineups I've ever seen. Nice. Unfortunately, I can't make it to the show because I live in Germany. Yeah. And we're like, well, maybe we'll bring it to Germany. So like, yeah. I think success, yeah. it, we've already accomplished success, yeah. I think. But I think, you know, in other terms, um, I think it could become more successful in that we'll do a second year, which will be more of a realized vision for all of us. Mm -hmm. And also we're toying with doing multiple cities. Mm -hmm. Um, multiple countries like, who knows you know stranger things have happened yeah. and it's really just we're DJs you know mm -hmm. and so doing a festival is just like DJing a set in yeah. that you're just curating music for an, a crowd it's an entire night entire weekend yeah it's yeah. the same thing so I yeah I think there's similar similar um, goals and I mean obviously it, you know it'd be wonderful you know down the road to make a bunch of money doing what you love sure yeah. but we're both older We've, I've been a concert promoter for 18 years. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just left my full-time job this year to, to work on Restless Nights and, yeah. and work on the festival and whatnot. And um, 
we just want to throw an awesome party and you know build this into something that's going to be special for people. Yeah. There's there's you know no ambition beyond that right now. You know, and, and that's this that's also to, to further answer your question about success. I've never approached what we're doing from their side of things. Mm -hmm. I've always been in the band that gets booked for the festival. Mm -hmm. Or the DJ, yeah. Or the DJ. Mm -hmm. But what I do, not only do I respect and appreciate everything they do on a daily basis to like make that shit happen, it's, it's a lot of work. Sure. But, you know, not just the logistics, but like the effort that we need to put in to make sure that every single person who comes has a good time and sees the bands that they want to see and there's no bullshit, mm -hmm. you know? Because as we all know, a lot of times first year festivals are just like a nightmare. It's, yeah. just, it's giving birth to a baby. Yeah, yeah. they're working it out. So I yeah. think, you know, exactly. So, you know, I've done clubs before where night one was a nightmare and sure. it may never have gone further than that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think the goal to be successful in what we're doing is also not only to curate something that we believe in yeah. from the music to the aesthetics of it, and but also the success comes from like walking away once it's done and having people say like, that was great. Yeah. That's, and it's, you know, I, again, I appreciate everything Brian does. Like he worked so hard on curating yeah. and booking the bands, you know, getting all those bands to, yeah. to be a part of it. But like now we're just, we really listen to everything everybody says. It, you know, I know as an artist, I have to blow it all off because right. some people like what you do and some people don't. And you just have to chalk it up. Because back in the day, I'd be like, no, fuck you. My band's awesome. You, you suck. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, yeah, you'll be the first one to get my, the copy of my book that I've been, I've been archiving emails for. Oh, nice. Forever, just the the horrible emails you get from agents and managers and whatnot. I mean, it is a thankless business. I'm sure. And in so many ways, but I'm you sure. know that the, the the reward is when you put on a really great production. And yeah. I mean, this particularly is like, I'm you know we're working on the schedule constantly. It's just like I'm so fucking excited to see, you know, thirty artists plus that I'd like really love. Yeah. I mean, there's not a single artist on the bill that we're that wasn't handpicked by us. Yeah. You know, we, we didn't, you know, we're not doing a Coachella thing or, or any of these other festivals where they're, you know, horse trading and compromising and, right. and whatnot. We, we booked the artists we wanted to book. What, uh, what's been the hardest part? Uh, I mean, it, you just, you getting the word out, just getting, you know, just getting people engaged in it. You know, that right now it, there is a uh, festival, uh, uh, I think, overload going right, on for and sure what do you, what do you uh i know you said there's not a festival like this mm -hmm. but what are the festivals you think of that kind of inspired you guys <laughs> whether they're favorites or there's elements that you wanted to bring from um i went to a, i went to a festival in houston um day for night mm. uh, they just announced their lineup um i think last week nine inch nails is headlining cool. um i went last uh december to that festival apex twin was the headliner amongst um, some other, uh, Bjork Digital did it, her big debut there. Nice. And they had it in um, old Houston post office and then the parking lot. So there was a stage or two outside and then cool. three or four levels to the um, the post office, but they did all, 
all these really incredible light and sound installations and whatnot. And you get really lost in these grids of lasers and mirrors and all sorts of stuff. And I was pretty inspired by that. I just met the, uh, the guy that runs the festival last week, actually. Nice. Um, so you, for me, I, I mean, I think I got, uh, we have a lot, a lot we talked about that we're, we're going to do in the future, you, you know, years in the yeah. future, but film, cinema stuff and whatnot. And really integrating, not just, you know, being like an experience where you're just watching bands play, right. where there's just like, there's so much more to it. Yeah. And, there's and, an, the, and yeah. that's what you do at the club, too. There's an immersive side of the club, mm -hmm. which not everybody knows what immersive theater is. I think now it's more popular than ever, so people are starting to figure out what it is, and they're starting to go to what they call immersive events. Mm -hmm. But part of what we do at Cloak and Dagger, the club, which we don't advertise, and you would only know if you come to the club, and on top of that, you're chosen to be incorporated into it. If you come to the club, someone may come grab you and pull you into some other room and you, sit you down in front of somebody who asks you some questions, you. and <laughs> you might be blindfolded. Yeah. You might have to make a choice. And based on what you say, how you act, and what you choose in that situation, leads you to a number of second experiences, which again, based on what you say or do in those, may lead you to another one and another one, and there's a story. It's all part of a big story. Yeah. And we do, that happens every week at the club. Wow. And, and wow, you would only know it if I'm on like a show talking about it, <laughs> or you come to the club and you experience it, yeah. which is great, and we're gonna incorporate that into the festival there's no festival that does that yeah. where and so sure. I mean I, I think there are immersive aspects to some festivals but I th you know I don't know to what degree but I do know that we're we have this girl named Annie Lesser who's um, getting a lot of love right now because of her immersive experiences in Los Angeles um, they've been really successful and she's been one of the writers at our club since day one Nice. Um, as far as the, the immersive story goes. Yeah. And it's funny, most people hear immersive and blindfolds and stuff, and they're like, you have a sex club? Like, what goes on? And, like, the dudes, of course, are like... Well, I did notice there's a, a safe word on your membership. Episode. There is a safe word. Um, you know, like, for, for um, liability... You know, we just need to know everybody's because we know when we're pulling somebody into some situation, yeah. we know what their safe word is. And we remind them before going in, right. just in case you put a bag over somebody's head and they're claustrophobic. Sure. You know, yeah. not that we bag people's heads, but like there <laughs> could, right. you know, one of the things that we spend most of our time doing is making a safe space for women. Yeah. It's important. Yeah. And so in that, one of the rules at the club is to respect everybody's private space. And if any girl ever has a problem with anybody, they're meant to come talk to me or my partner, Michael Patterson, yeah. and let us know immediately, and we handle it. Mm -hmm. We don't, we just want everybody has to happen. Has that happened? Yeah. yeah. I mean, not so much because we curate right. the night. Sure. So, but sometimes people bring a guest, and we can't control that. So, so tell me, like... You know, on, on a base level, we're in the hospitality business, yeah. right? And, uh, you know, there's that customer's always right sort of mantra that pervades that business. And yet, you know, you put a lot of rules on people. 
you have to dress a certain way. There's no cameras. You have to fill out an application and be accepted. You have to choose a safe word. There's all this stuff, right, that you make people jump through hoops. Um, from as a business person, why is that a good idea? I mean, I I can only speak for myself, but I know that back in the day when I would go to like Hartwell's clubs, deluxe, yeah, and they weren't letting anybody in. You know what I mean? And they So there were rules, they just didn't tell you what the rules were. Yeah. You didn't know what they were. Sometimes you'd get in, there'd be like four people in there. And you're like, why is there 200 people outside? So I know just from living in Los Angeles that exclusivity goes a long way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's what legends are. I mean, the, the whole legend of Studio 54, what, the, the techno club in uh, Berlin, Bergheim. Bergheim. Yeah, yeah, I mean, people... Like the the doorman just decides he doesn't like the way you look. Right. You might actually be the fucking coolest dressed person in the in the line. It's just yeah. like not tonight, you know. Yeah, it's but, where it stems from. But know? I think that Adams honed in on something. I mean, it's you know, all those rules have worked really well for those people, mm -hmm. and it's worked really well for the club. Mm -hmm. I'm always blown away how many by how many people are in there, and you know, there's a, there's a you know, it's it's a it's an intimate space and whatnot, and there's always. Do you, you know, think there's room for other businesses? To like think that way which way <laughs> the exclusive part or the rules part either one i mean you know you look at like a soho house yeah. it's members only they have rules yeah. yeah i mean there are business models mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know ours is is based just as much on aesthetics as it is on anything else so yeah. everybody has to wear all black but i think that's cool because i think that like people want People need roles sometimes mm -hmm. and appreciate them and go out of their way. Like, I know that, like, the, I talk to every girl that comes, you know, not everyone, but most of them. And they're like, they love mm -hmm. going shopping every week and figuring out a new outfit to wear that's all black or yeah. new black shoes. It just gives, really gives them an excuse to go shopping and get something new. Sure. But, I mean, I, you know, I, again, I can only speak for myself and, mm -hmm. and, and my club and our festival, but I, I do, we haven't really gotten a lot of people complaining about the festival you have to wear all black, mm -hmm. festival. Yeah. No one's really complaining about it, yeah. a few people, but we kind of joke about it all it's, the time. The funny, well, the funny thing is those people probably would have worn all black anyway. Yeah, yeah. goth people love to We're, we're gonna let people, we're sort of giving people some of an option, but sure. you know, like we're, we're the, right now we're saying the dress code is all black, yeah. but you already know that. Yeah. The one thing you're, you're seeing is like, you know, his club is, is, is a members only club. Which I think is, you know, like, the, that's not what we're doing with the festival. Right. The festivals, anybody can come. We're doing some special stuff for the members. Yeah. But I do think it's executed really well for me because I know personally I don't like to stand in line. I don't like to wait sure. around, yeah. hope to be on a list for something whatnot. There's no, there's no line at, at Cloak & Dagger. There's right. no, you know, like, yeah, it's, already, it's already been worked out in advance. Yeah. And so you show up that's, and you know what you're getting and it's fantastic. Yeah. No, it's and it's not answer. for everybody, you know. And that's what it is. Yeah. Cool. We'll I have to get to a lightning round before we get kicked out of here. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to ask both of you, what's your favorite city to travel to? Um, wow. I like to go to Bangkok. Nice. Been there a few times. Yeah, I've never been. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Awesome. Tokyo. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that, yeah, that's probably number two. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's like being on another planet yeah. in the best way possible. Yeah. Tokyo is probably the coolest city I've been to. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Who's your favorite DJ? Mm. A, a alive or dead, does it matter? Um, I mean, probably, you know, Larry Levan would have been 
Yeah. You know, live Nicky Siano still going. He's awesome. Uh, um, DJ Harvey. Mm. Um, I love hearing Jazzy Jeff play. Oh yeah. I'd say so I'd say Jeff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's just solid and creative and never really repeats himself and has a great musical vocabulary. Mm -hmm. So whenever I get the opportunity to see him play. Harvey's amazing. Yeah. Um, Jeff's our number one answer on this show. Jeff's Although your name yeah. comes up. Yeah. Interesting. That's um, nice. It's good to hear. I was going to say that, but I just didn't want to sound like I was kissing it's, his ass. Yeah, yeah. I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't be right. <laughs> What's the last great book you've read? Um, I read this book uh, called Sapiens. Um, yeah. Been Harari yeah. is the author, an Israeli guy. It's just incredible. Just kind of the, the birth of the how we beat beat out the Neanderthals versus all the other, cool, you know, humanoid races on the planet and whatnot. It's just a kind of a mind blowing book. Yeah. Um, mm, I just reread House of Leaves. Oh, I don't know it. It's, it's a difficult read yeah. because it's the you'll understand what I mean when you see it. It's just the way it's formatted is crazy. Ooh. It's not just typical book. Yeah. Some of the pages spiral oh, wow. inwards. Yeah. Some just have three words on them. Some are. It's just yeah. different love, size fonts. Like it's yeah. a horror book. Okay. Yeah. But it's just the guy just said fuck rules. Yeah. I'm gonna format each page or each group of pages in whatever fucking way I want. Yeah. So in that way, it's really like a piece of art That's before great. you even get to the story. So I hadn't read, I read it when it first came out and I, I kind of forgot about it and I came across it and I reread it. I love, I love revisiting books. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Speaking of revisiting, what movie have you seen the most in your life? To Live and Die in L.A. I love okay. that movie. William Friedkin. Yeah. It's not his best film. Sorcerer, Exorcist are probably his best films, but uh -huh. it's just it's just so has that encapsulates that style and Wang Chung, the Wang Chung soundtrack, you know, early Willem Dafoe vil villain. Oh, cool! The, you know the whole the whole movie just looks like a Patrick Nagel painting. It know? does. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Nice, Adam. Blade Runner. Really? Yeah, that's a close one. Yeah. Blade Runner. I mean, Star Wars. Uh -huh. Probably the first half of my life was Star Wars. Second half would be Blade Runner. Yeah, because there's a lot of different versions of it. The yeah. soundtrack's amazing, but I there there's an interesting conversation that Ridley Scott, George Lucas, and Steven Spielberg were having mm. at the time. Yeah hidden in their movies mm. they were, so they were making them for each other so if of you right. if you i mean there's yeah. a million blogs i'm sure yeah. that you could find online yeah, that, that discuss well. a lot of that stuff yeah. but like they were not tipping their hats to each other mm. like alien and blade runner have a lot of similarities sure. mm -hmm. when the ship takes off an alien it blinks purge which mm. in blade runner when they get in that little cop car and it's taking off it's purge there's one frame where on top of one of the buildings is the Millennium Falcon. If you, oh, no way. If you look. Oh, man. 
That's cool. But back in the day, you couldn't freeze it. Right, right, right. Sure. For, for me, it was Aliens. I saw it in the oh, theater yeah. when I was nine me years too. old. But uh, subsequently, the director's cut. James Cameron's like full, like, it's another 17, 20 minutes or something that's added yeah. on. It's just unfucking believable. Mm. Perfect film. That's cool. Tell me one decision that changed your life forever. To follow my instincts instead of what family members and other people around me wanted me to do with my life. Was there a moment when you're conscious of that decision? Mm -hmm. I went to the beach. Yeah. I had a few conversations with a few people I trusted. I was on a very specific trajectory to do something not very creative. What was it? I was math major. And I wanted to make music and DJ. And I spoke with a few people who, I used both sides of my brain. And at the time I had a few family members and a few close friends that kind of have the same capability of being creative, but also doing math or mm -hmm. whatever it is they do. And I was just curious, like, if they had to do it all over again, would they have chosen the path that they chose, which was not very a creative path? Well, yeah, man, like, you know, I got the car and wife and, and house. Yeah. And like, yeah, but are you happy? Well, you know, I make all this money and, yeah, but you're not answering my question. Like, are you happy? Like, are you... Is what you do in life, I understand what you're saying, but like, did you make the right decision ultimately? No one's around, you can tell me. And they were like, you know, if I had to do it all over again, you know, I love my kid. Right. I wanna, would never want to not have my kid, but I might have chosen something else to yeah. do because I don't get to satisfy that part of my heart, I guess, mm -hmm. was the answer most of them gave. So yeah, I went to the beach one day and I just said, this is what I wanna do. And, and I've had a lifetime of serving other people, really, making other people have a good time mm -hmm. and enjoy. You don't have to go to the office every day. I don't have to go to the office. Never. Mm -hmm. I, I did have a few jobs in the beginning, but yeah. I've never, never had another job. I think, Brian, what's the decision that changed your life? I think it's something similar. It's that, you know, it's just like, you know, I was in school. I was, gonna, I was studying anthropology and psychology. I was thinking of going to film, all that stuff, and you never was totally sure what what I wanted to do but I always when I was like you know 13 years old my mom bought me my first guitar and that was a huge impetus for me I think she took me to my first concert which was uh, Neil Young and Crazy Horse with Sonic Youth and Social Distortion Wow! complete the sentence I don't have talent I have blank <laughs> could you repeat that I don't have talent I have blank I don't even know what talent means. Um, I have I have, you know, is it one word? Or does it matter? It's a really good question, Josh. 
It's a great question. <laughs> I saw that from Henry Rollins. I just want no, to that's a great, give credit. That's a great question. Um, I have experience, a lifetime of it. That's good. Uh, I have a personality. Okay. Yeah, that's good. That'll take, <laughs> that'll take you a long way. So, uh, not math. What other career would you want if you knew you couldn't fail outside of music? Sushi chef. I just want to sit there and talk with people and make them the best sushi they've ever had. I could that's do that. Amazing. That's an amazing talent. Yeah, it is. It's, yeah. It's, a, it's an art form for sure, and I, it's, it's hard to find. Yeah. So if I worked for each of you, what's something I would hear you say over and over? Um, go fuck yourself. <laughs> okay. Fuck him. Fuck yeah. them. I know. <laughs> so you're like a motivational boy. Yeah, yeah, I'm like the... <laughs> um, that's like another good question. I'd probably say... Um, some, I'd probably say, you know, when somebody emails you, it's important to get back to them within 24 hours. Mm -hmm. I'd probably say that a lot. Not everybody knows that, and that's that's a great. That, that's like, a great point. There's there's just a lot of lot of etiquette that hasn't still been defined in the new the sure. new era we're living. I'm joking, of course. I like I said, I was I um <laughs> I'm gonna compile this book of like yeah. I, I got I got an email regarding Cloak and Dagger last week from an agent that we're working with, and he told me to chill out. Mm -hmm. And it, 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 that was that was I mean I have that always helps you chill out. Yeah, it always you know it's, yeah I mean I, yeah. It's, it's just so important to be to be decent to the people you work with, and yeah. you know, it's etiquette. It's okay. a lost and another lost art form. Yeah. But I think it's the one of the most important ones in business is to just. And I learned that all from Brian Rabin. Sure. You know, like a yeah. lot of the a lot of that kind of stuff. Just working with him for the last almost five years now, doing Giorgio's. Mm -hmm. He he operates at such a high level in what he does in business that I learned all that stuff from him. Like he would yell at me all the time. Not yeah. yell, but like, yeah, yeah. hey man, like, somebody emailed you. Like, you yeah. got to get back to them. Yeah. You waited a week. Like, that's just not acceptable, man. Right. So I learned yeah, that, yeah. and it does. You know, people are like, thanks for the quick response. I'm yeah. not used to that. Absolutely. So, uh, how does everybody find you guys in the festival? Um, well, there's um, you can go to restlessnights.com/cloak. Cool. Um, the Adam's website is xcloakanddaggerx.com. Um, yeah, and then we're, we're out there, we're everywhere. Awesome. Find us on our respective Facebooks or Instagrams, and yeah. we're gonna yeah. be we're gonna be running a lot of giveaways this week, and cool, it's fun stuff. Nice. So we're, just we're keep an eye out for it. Yeah, she wants awesome. revenge plays Saturday, and cool. Gas lamps playing one night. Oh. Um, we may have a surprise. We're gonna throw yeah, in the mix. There might be a couple of surprises thrown in there. Anyway, yeah, he cool. also announced on the show today, Annie Lesser. Is going to be doing oh, yeah. immersive. Yeah, the that's, immersive. It's that's, a big thing. That's the, the first we've she's, spoken of it. So she's amazing. Um, she she's has all these things planned for people that are just going to be walking around thinking that they're just going to see another band. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We'll be like just brought into some 
really cool kind of little theater. It's really theater, right. immersive, where they're like, what? Wow, what just happened? Yeah, it's cool about these old Broadway theaters is they have tons of little secret rooms oh, and yeah, layers right. and yeah, sounds pretty cool. Thanks for having us, Josh. Yeah, yeah thanks Thank for Thank you, coming, Josh. I'm, thanks. I'm excited for you guys. Yeah. Can't wait to see it and, and uh, you'll have to come back and let us know about uh, next year. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Yo, that was our interview with Adam12, Brian Tarney. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Uh, make sure you support our sponsors, Upside.com. Go buy some travel. And Audible.com. Go listen to some books. And leave us a comment. Let us know what you listened to or where you traveled or what you think of the show or who you want to hear on next. Uh, you can hit us at Rebel Radio Net on Twitter, Facebook. You can always leave a comment on iTunes. And uh, most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace.